The story starts in November 2013. I found myself at former criminal Dave Courtney's house. Dave had lit a bonfire in his back garden. He handed me a Coke bottle that had two litres of petrol in it, and the Coke bottle was attached to a Super Soaker water pistol. This is the sound of me squirting a homemade flamethrower onto a bonfire. And went and I pulled it, pulled it towards you in front of it. Oh, oh, well, very nice. Yeah, I'm going now. Hang on. Get a little, just put it back hard. Oh, I see. I didn't know Dave very well at this point, so I had a number of options. I could have said nothing. I could have fronted it out. I could have at least said, oh, I really like flamethrowers. But what I actually said was, it's, there's it's the culprit. It's warmer than I thought it would be, yeah. to be honest. But yeah, I, okay. I can see. Yeah, I can definitely it's warmer than I thought it would be. I have no idea what I meant by that. But what it tells you, the listener, is that I'm not from Dave's world, although I'm fascinated by people who are. Right, Dave took this to World DJ Awards. I took this bird with me, right? But I said you can come on the condition that you give me a blowjob under the table while we're at this thing. Yeah? While I'm getting my cocks up, like, just to, like, show off to Dave and all that, yeah, <laughs> the gays on our table won an award. <laughs> so they've all got up to clapping, haven't they? And I, I'm the only one sitting there, and the seat beside me's empty, right? <laughs> and then everyone's looking at me, so we'll show a bit of respect, and I'm going... That was Brendan. Brendan's stories aren't for the faint-hearted. <laughs> right, but on the way home, she went. I want. I love getting fucked in the rain, like in a storm. <laughs> right, so it was. It was a thunderstorm on the way home. Yeah, and I've stopped in this car park, this pub, the Camden car park in Bexley. Oh, yeah. right? So I've got on the bonnet of the Peugeot fucking four o five. Yeah. Uh, I'm fucked doing all that and like, then the next day I've looked at the front of the bonnet and I thought oh, fuck me it's looked like she's fucking left a bit of a stain on there you know what I mean <laughs> so I've took the car in to get washed about a week later or something and uh, this Cossabin geese is fucking washing it and polishing it and all that and he couldn't get this off it had gone through the paintwork and he went is it budget? I said well you could say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Dave Courtney became famous in 1995 when he arranged a security for Ronnie Cray's funeral. Since then, he's been on television, he's made films, and he's written books about his criminal lifestyle. But what amazed me most of all is that the average bloke down the pub will tell me the most extraordinary things about Dave Courtney. So you watch, right, when Dave Courtney goes out, say he goes down to the local pub or something, uh, he has at least 10 bodyguards with him. But is that not expensive? No, no, it's not going to be expensive because they're not drinking. They're professionals, obviously. Uh, I mean, Dave's going to be sat facing the exit, right? So if someone starts... This guy continues to tell me that one of the bodyguards closes the door, two of the bodyguards attack the guy who's attacking Dave, the two of the bodyguards smash out the video cameras, and one of the bodyguards has a quiet word 
with the barman just to make sure that he doesn't say anything. Okay, so what about the other, the other four? Well, I mean, they're there in case uh, something goes wrong, I guess. Uh... Seven years ago, I walked up a hill in south-east London to meet Dave Courtney. Dave told me a sentence that changed my life. No man is as big as his myth. In this podcast series, I go behind the scenes at Dave's house. I meet the people in his world. I meet the people who love him and I meet the people who loathe him. I hear stories from him and I hear stories about him. My name's Matt Price and this is Conversations with Criminals. On my first day with Dave, he suggested that we had a game of pool. Now, I'd heard from various people that Dave likes to play people one-handed. I didn't bother to mention that I don't play pool and that I'm really not sure of the rules, but it made for a really good icebreaker. Now, that should mean technically that I can move the cue ball now, doesn't it? Yeah, but do it technically. You can't move the cue ball in this game. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it's got country rules. Right. No, no, it's, it's old-fashioned. It? Just don't pick the ball up and put it where you would like it. It's fucking not right. I know you can't. I know you can't, like, the rules are there, but, like, not... This game, in, in this house, it's a fucking... No, it's, it's this thing, in, it's the, the game for in this house, right? I tell you, it's... Because uh, it's something I do a lot. You can reach people on a game of pool. You can reach people really well. You know, I don't go in office no more. I fucking spend all day, every night playing it. Good people play it. I see how we're happy now. They beat me. I see the people that... Um, I've got seven left, and they still snooker me behind a black half. And, wow, you know what I mean? I like people, but I'm not sure that I can read them that well. I think I'm a bit naive and maybe a bit too trusting. The first person I completely misread, of course, was Brendan. He told me one of the first things he ever said to Dave when they first became friends over 20 years ago. And I went, listen, before I get to know you too much, Dave, I just want you to know I am a coward. None of this made any sense to me. This is Dave Courtney we're talking about. How can his best friend be a coward? What about the 10 bodyguards? And for a coward, Brendan has certainly been in some difficult situations. I've had geezers, like, you know, tie me up and take me away. I've had geezers fucking try to stab me in bed when I was asleep on Christmas morning and slashed all my tendons in my toe just to Santa Claus. Do you know what I mean? They were dressed as Santa Claus. He was dressed as Santa Claus, this geezer, yeah. And he come into my house at four o'clock in the morning, on Christmas morning, went to stab me and I switched the light on and I went, I knew him, I went, Kenny, what are you doing? <laughs> and he went like that, I put my foot up, managed to hit him on the chin and his false teeth come out, <laughs> but he slashed my foot and cut two of my toes and nearly come off. And then he ran off, do you know what I mean? And I went, have a look at that, how bad is that, Dave? What, what you... And he went, I've just read Andy McDab's book. He went super glue and fix that. Yeah, like that might well have happened if it was just a nick, yeah, but I, I, my tendons were cut. <laughs> so like, by the time he super glued it, yeah, which I'm there worrying, am I going to end up in hospital with his hand stuck to my foot? You know, in the ambulance. And like, am I going to be sitting there looking at him going, this wasn't a good idea, was it? <laughs> but no, he didn't get his hand stuck to my foot, yeah, but after about 20 minutes of him putting a load of glue over my toes, I was going, 
skinny who can't. <laughs> so he went, no, I'll tell you what, you might better have gone to the hospital. I went, thanks a lot. That's been a great help. <laughs> Some of Dave's friends have nicknames. There's Old Man Ray, Psycho Ray, and there's my favourite, Kev the Dog, who now prefers just to be called Kev. I asked Dave if it was because Kev was ashamed of his criminal past, but was told, no, it's because his dog died. I've spoken to lots of people in the pool room in Dave's house and it's always proven to be very interesting. I think Dave is probably very rare because he can work people out. He's got an excellent judge of character instantly and that is, you know, it's his gift. It's my gift also, so it's kind of like, you know, when you get someone like that, it's, yeah. um, he shoots from the hip, he says it how it is. How do you get to work people out then? Is that, is that just life experience? life experiences to oh, I mean, you can kind of tell who's full of bullshit okay. and who ain't you know some people some people uh, you know may seem like they're full of bullshit and aren't and some people may seem like they're not full of bullshit and are sure. so you just have to drag out life experiences mate when you come from fucking South East London where you've been in the <laughs> been in the car yeah, like, yeah. you know you, on your way up you know you, you learn them things it's just part and parcel of it isn't it so that 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 so it's to do with business then really you're saying it's like five just to, to read people yeah I mean in that world business is done like sitting there now so I might have a kilo of white that you want to buy for forty eight grand but I want I don't want to sell it to you for, I want to sell it for fifty two but we'll sit and have a conversation and then we assume that it's fifty and just because we've had a cup of coffee in a game of pool right you know now it's all right because in that world that's how you have to do it and that, that's how it goes and it's just it's, you have to grow up in it i think i think you're sorry that was tony sales he's another good friend of dave's and another person who i completely misread he went to jail for six years for fraud and he now travels the world advising large companies about online security when he was active he stole 30 million pounds Brendan told me about another friend of theirs, Psycho Ray. The clue's in the name, but I didn't realise. There was a bloke that used to take E's at the time. He was a bit of a druggy geezer. And Ray was going to buy a load of E's at the time when they were 15 quid each and you could buy them for like six, seven pound each. So Ray had seven grand's worth of these pills that he was buying. And he said this geezer, right, I'll take you with me. You take E's, don't you? And he went, yeah. He said, I want you to try these. Yeah, and tell me if they're any good before I buy them. Yeah, so the bloke took them, and the bloke was just a bit of a junkie anyway, so anything would have made him feel something, but he went, yeah, yeah, they're all right, mate, they're all right, there's nothing wrong with them, mate. Yeah, he said, I've had a couple, oh, I feel, feel I'm buzzing. Right? But when Ray got them back, they were actually fish tank cleaning tablets. Yeah, so he wanted to kill the geezer who swallowed them for him. Do you know what I mean? Brendan wasn't exaggerating when he said that Psycho Ray wanted to kill the guy because of the fish tank cleaning tablets. But what I wanted to know was, how could a coward survive in Dave Courtney's world? I don't like fighting. If there is a fight, I like to run away. Yeah, if it looks like it's coming anywhere near me, I am off. Yeah, fucking right off. Yeah. So if there's ever a fight and you think you're going to have a fight with someone, don't look at me as someone who will fight with you, because I won't be there. Yeah, he said to me, only take on anything that you can handle on your own, because I don't do it. <laughs> right? And I feel embarrassed when he's saying that to me, because I'm like, shut up, mate. I, 
right? And he's been running away and leaving me ever since, right? He's been, you know, it meant nothing until about three months later when we're, we're doing a photo shoot uh, up in... Um, back of the Aquarium, wasn't it? Back of the Aquarium. The Aquarium is a quite well-known London nightclub. Ironically, Psycho Ray would have been selling fish tank cleaning tablets outside a club called the Aquarium. No wonder he was angry. This is about eight of us all up, we're all dressed in black doing a gangster thing. My little boy's out, Bo's out there. He goes out while we're having doing the pictures and some blokes nicked his phone off him. Right? Didn't actually run away, he sat down outside a restaurant. So he's come in and went, Dad, I just took my phone. Blah, blah, blah. So everyone's going all wrapped up, like, yeah, come here, come in. So we jumped in the cars and I was on a motorbike and he's in a black uh, Range Rover and as we were driving through this little thing looking for him outside, he went, there they are. So I stopped, took my helmet off, we've all got out of the car, except him. And they didn't even know until we got right into the middle of them that we was coming to get them. You know what I mean? They, looked, they didn't recognise us. Just a kid, that was bow they nicked the phone off of. We got right into the middle of them and then started going bang, bang, bang. So we're just destroying these people. But they was with another load of people that was over there. So by the time this lot have run over, we're now coming unstuck. We're outnumbered. And I'm looking at the... He ain't got out of the car. And I'm... I'm Look, fucking hell, so we're trying to have a swing in here and we're bang, bang, bang. And, I, and then the window opened, he goes, Mind day behind you to go. Oh, he's got it. <laughs> right? And then this thing went, shut the window, and I'm like, Fuck me, is that for real? Is that real? And then the window opened again, and all music is coming out of the car, and I'm like, I thought I'd inspire them with a bit of, you know. Uh, what's the wrong? Slaves <laughs> to, to the vibe. Slaves to the vibe at the time, do you know? Top just... tune at the time, you know what I mean? Right? So. We've done our little bit and we've got gets back in the fucking car and we're driving off and as we're about ten yards down the road, everyone's looking at me to go, Are you gonna say anything to this fucking cunt, Dave? You're gonna like looking at me, I had to go, listen, Bren, quickly say something to me, say, tell me something to stop me smashing you in the fucking face here. Why the fuck didn't you help me? Like say something. And he boom put the handbrake on right there in the middle of the road, turned his whole body around to our and went, Whoa, he said, Hold it a minute, hold on a minute. Did I not say to you on the very first day I met you, do not handle it, take on anything that you can't handle on your own because I don't do it if I did I say that to you. I went, yeah. He said, right, do you want to go sorry? So I'm sorry. So everyone in the back of this car, he went, right. And everyone in the back of this car is just looking at me now as if to go, we're all bleeding. People let clothes ripped. All right. <laughs> and I was that he's been running away leaving me ever since brilliant <laughs> not brilliant it's not it is funny <laughs> it's not <laughs> one thing I noticed straight away was that Dave always seems to be offering advice either in person or on the phone one of my favourite stories is about a guy who worked for Dave called Rocky very very funny I, I wouldn't say he's mad but he's sort of mad he's not mad as in cuckoo you know but he would do mad, 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 mad things anyway. So he was easily led. And I thought it was better to take him on board as one of mine than, than someone else grab him and then be one of theirs. You know what I mean? Because he'd be a dangerous fucker if he was coming at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he would actually do whatever. If I went, look, come out there, we're going to shoot this bloke. go, all right, Dave, I'll go, boss, boss. <laughs> you know, like down one leg and yeah, all that when he. Yeah. Was, but um, he rang up one day. Generally, today I need help and all that. Why? What's the matter? What's the matter? He said, oh, "There's people chasing me with guns and 
they're looking for me. And I said, yeah, well, where are you? He said, I'm in fucking, I'm in Glasgow. So well, I'm, I'm here in Plumpton, right? What the fuck are you doing? He said, look, I'm in a bin. I mean, I'm hiding in a dustbin. Right? He goes, and, and he started describing what was in the bin, going, it's okay, it's not wet, so I'm not, but I put paper on top of me and, and, and I thought I was going to get, because there was nothing I could do, is there, really, you know, in Glasgow. I went, stay in the bin and turn your fucking phone off. Turn it off because you're going to be hiding in there. Good place, fucking well done. And he started describing it. Is it, it was a big, big, big. Yeah, it's a bin. big, like Biffa bin, you know, like yeah. a big. But it was one, not one that you just throw in the top. No, it was no, one with like a round hole in it, one. like with a little, like a porthole yeah, thing yeah, in it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, a, yeah. you put it under the chute and you put the chute to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. So he's got in there. He thought, I said, turn the fucking phone off. That's all you need, isn't it? And someone dustbin starts again. You're captured. And he went, how long do I stay here? <laughs> just hours until you fucking feel until it's light and there's all other people walking about so the men with the guns ain't running around looking for you you just stay there till it's light right and that's what you do right like, I'll get out of did Dave used to employ people as part of his firm and would give them a job that matched their ability one person per job that was his motto Rocky was a very big man and Dave had big plans for him but they didn't quite work out because he could have a row, we thought he was going to go into boxing. So Joe Pa had this, <laughs> a nice boxing show. <laughs> and we was having a rave afterwards up at some club. So he said, I said, I'll be your manager. I said, Joe, we'll put him on. He said, OK. And um, so what I'd done is I went to all the people that we was going out partying with. Right, come and meet us at Caesars, which was like the mecca of the um, South London boxing thing. The meeting place for everyone, you know what I mean? And uh, come and meet us at Caesars all these ravers, with Rocky fight, and at the end of it, we'll all carry on up to the ministry. Because they were all waiting to go to me, because if they walked in with me, they didn't have to pay. That's the bottom line of it, yeah? Well, I best my best mate, but they're all pretending to be. And um, we, we're in the, we're in the cha- he's in the changing room, and I'm looking for him, and I kept seeing all people where all these tables were that were the raving people all over the place. And I kept seeing them get less and less and less and less. So I've gone in there to go and see if he's gloved up. And I wonder where all these people are. And as I'm going towards his changing room, there's music banging out of you. And it's about twice, about three times as big as this living room. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's there's got about 100 people He's in got 100 people in there. He's, got, he's gloved he's got a up. He's got DJ with, a, with decks there, brought some decks. And then they're playing <laughs> and then the, music. the decks are on like a, like a decorating table. You open it up so you can, put it, you can run the decks anywhere, right? And it's run by the sun. You didn't have to plug it in. Right. You understand what I mean? So he didn't need a plug hole if he could do it in the park. But he's got decks on and he's there like this, there's a big mirror behind him, with a boxing glove on, strapped up, with a line on it, going like that. And as he opened the door, right, and they all went, he turned around and see me, knew he was going to get told off, so instead of going, oh, he went, sorry, sorry, sorry. And they were like, are you for fucking real? He's getting in the ring in like four minutes. He sniffed a big line of coke, yeah. Wow. Anyway, he got in the ring and uh, he, he went down, I think, in the first round, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he lost. And he's looking, he's looking over at me, he's going, oh, don't do it, what do I do? Name, name, get disqualified, name, just name. So he's got up, because he's not the cleverest player in the world. As he went to go, boom. As he went to go like that, the bloke moved away. So he had to go, boom, like that. <laughs> Stupid, like dived, head, diving in by him. But he got disqualified and threw off, threw out. That was funny. 
Were fights ever fixed? Oh. My answer oh. was that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a common question, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that boxing at that time was like a bit like the wrestling. It all depended on this. How many tickets you could sell, right? And if you can sell 50 tickets, you can say to him, I want to win. I'll sell you 50 tickets. I'll get you 50, 30 quids, but give me someone I can beat. So they'd go down and get some Polish bloke that would lose for, you know, do you mind coming in? You're going to get done in the second round, six minutes. Yeah, I'll give you 300 quid. You go, yeah. Not, not lots of other British fighters want to come and get paid to lose. They don't want to, you know, it's hard, it was harder to find It used British to be one. sort of like Britain versus Poland, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, you'll get a load of them. They're big, strong. Their natural fucking uh, physical ability is better than England's. Yeah, they're all lean, mean fighting machines. They're all a bit, they can all have a row on that, right? So getting punched by an English bloke with big sponges tied to his hand for three minutes, don't frighten them. I've heard boxing trainers say about boxing that it's not why you start, but it's why you stay. So many young men say that they want to fight and they only really know if they're cut out for it when they first get punched. My reasons for meeting Dave Courtney were different to the reasons I kept going back to his house. I loved his humour and his stories, and I still do. Even the more sinister ones about Psycho Ray. Remember him? I met him on quite a few occasions. He's the guy who I thought seemed like a nice bloke. Dave told me some stories about Psycho Ray that, when I think about them, are terrifying. He, he had a bit of whiz. So he's up all night, tries to smash up his wardrobe and throw it away down the chute. He's blocked, blocked the chute up and they sent a letter around, like the Tennis Association, going, for some people that are inconsiderate, doing this, this, this. And he's going, you know, don't, don't block it up the chute, don't do it no more. So he's now taking it first. He's trying to mug me off. He's at this Tennis Association. So he sneaked out with a crossbow, hid in the bushes and shot the porter, the night porter, that was opening the bins at four in the morning, opening up all the cupboards outside the flat, shot him through the chest onto the door. He said, but he didn't, he weren't dead, he was just stuck there, but where he is looking, this bloke, that's where Ray's hiding in these bushes and Ray couldn't run away because the geezer's there looking. He tried to kill him. Wow. He tried to kill him for sending him a fucking tennis association letter. Right? Wow. You know, he absolutely start raving mad. He, Put the key to his stabs with a knitting needle. Mm-hmm. Right, in the fucking hippodrome he went there. Some geezer was going, excuse me, mate, excuse me, excuse me, a porter, and a, a waiter, excuse me, and the music race talking, and he just pushed his leg out of the way, and Ray went, oh, stop, 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 stop. Right, anyway, so he's now screwing about it all week that he's being mugged up by this bloke. He works it all out, sharpens up a knitting needle. At the other end of the knitting needle, he's put a load of plaster, right? and he goes, yes, because if you go stab someone and it hits a bone, what happens is it don't go in, your your finger goes down, it's like this way, so I'm, what's he talking about? And it one rave's going on and all dancing away as the waiter's gone past, he's gone and all in the game. Hey, you know. <clears throat> for knocking his foot off the absolutely start <laughs> raving mad. Twenty quid, Dave, over the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sold a geezer. Uh, so the geezer um, an ounce of Charlie. The geezer give him a grand, he's come all the way back from Putney to here. To, Counting it out again, check it, and one of the one of the things is moody, moody, and one of the twenty one twenty pound note one. So he drives back to Putney, goes into the geezer's house, is fighting the geezer now for a score, and ends up dangling him over a balcony. But now he's over the balcony, he can't get, he can't actually get back up. You know what I mean? Like your, your knee goes out that way, 
Yeah. Well, he couldn't do the sit-up enough to get up, so you know, you're actually holding him to to save his life. So I've had to now, not wanting to get involved at all, I've had to run in and hold this bloke's legs because he's going to kill him, he can't get up. So I'm like, fuck. <laughs> it's just start raving mad. He's like, genuinely mad. Yeah. <laughs> and what about his wife? Right. Yeah, 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 he was wanting to kill his missus. And so he, that's when he bought the crossbow and his plan was... Go somewhere up the country, just shoot someone with a crossbow for nothing random woman, and then go another week, go somewhere else in the country, shoot another woman, and then kill his own wife, and then do two after that. And he went, and if I do get caught... And if I do get caught, you've got to kill one while I'm in there, and it it definitely can't be me. (laughs) (laughs) How's that? Yeah. Fucking cook to will. Psycho. Cook to a fucking will. Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. So it would um, it would take quite a person then to shit in his crash helmet. <laughs> that was Brendan. No, I know. But I, I mean, you know I've got to know about that. Yeah, well, Brendan can tell you, but he did get stabbed for it. <laughs> I did get stabbed in the arm with a bayonet for it, but it was worth it because after I'd sort of put a lump of poo in his helmet and rubbed it all round the top of his helmet, yeah? We now know, we knew the girl who was seeing at the time. And I, fa- I knew the girl, I spoke to her afterwards, and I remember the day I'd done it was in here, he'd left his bike helmet now, and I'd, uh, I'd, I'd sort of relieved myself a bit earlier, and I thought there's a little bit not right, quite right in there. So I just, instead of going upstairs and getting some toilet, I just got it out and just wiped it all round the inside of the helmet, and um, he come in... And he had his big flash Harley Davidson. He put his helmet on, but what was funny he was watching his nose as he kept going, <laughs> and he could smell shit, but he just couldn't work out where it was coming from. Like, it was all round his forehead. It was. <laughs> so he went home and got in bed with his missus, and she went, "You stink of shit." <laughs> but he didn't know for ages what it was until someone told him. When Brendan first told me the story about the crash helmet, I was sworn to secrecy, as Ray would have been very angry and it could have caused us both a lot of problems. Ray's dad had one of his legs amputated before he eventually died of cancer. Ray bullied him and his sister. Psycho Ray died a horrible death. The day he died, the karma of it all was, he actually, he was driving a road sweeping lorry, fell asleep at the wheel and went straight into the back of an arctic on a roundabout, and they had to cut both his legs out to get him out of the lorry. And the one thing Ray hated more than anyone was police officers. He despised police officers. So he had to go to ambulance in, in, go in the ambulance with no legs and a copper hold in his hand to go to his deathbed. And he never wrote a will. And so when they actually went through his phone, it had my sister. She was the first one that they rung. Yeah, so she she, she ended up let she got everything she got the house the everything that he robbed off her yeah oh that's great that's a nice story yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, everything yeah, that every... he robbed and, and and bullied and she so got then. yeah I'm, I'm, uh, the 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 alleged rumor was that he was due to buy a kilo of Charlie yeah just that that weekend so when his sister opened the flat opened his bungalow. There was 30, 30 grand, grand in a shoebox. She found, found shooters. Yeah, she found you know, two whole, brand new Harley Davidsons that had been stolen. Yeah. he had, And he'd stolen everything from wherever he worked, didn't he? He'd, yeah, he used to get a job where he could go robbing. He'd get a job as a night porter here or a lorry driver there. And he didn't mind if you caught him, he'd front it and get the sack. That ain't too bad. Oh, that could. They could have gone. 
So you're reading me right now when we're playing this? Reading you. Yeah, I don't mean to. No, no, I'm interested. I know what that is. So I'm doing with you right now. I'm going to cut the head. I've already, ding, got you in the right thing. Right? Okay. Right now I'm watching you. I'm learning. Am I right or am I wrong? I'm always right. But I'm putting that, what I'm doing is I'm putting them in, in a folder. <laughs> in made block. That's proof I should have been very that first day playing pool at Dave's house, we talked a lot. I told him a bit about why I was there, and it's something that I will explain more as this series progresses. At the time, I missed something that Dave told me, and it's only when I listen back to it now that I realise just how significant it was. Now, I live with the fact that my son, while he's in prison with me, we both share the cell together, and whoever you are, you never get as close to someone that's, that you share the cell with. You never get as close to that. That is deep. You get close. Now, they know how often you get up in the night, how often you wank, how many times you have a wee, fucking what you like when you're frightened, what you like when you're anxious. And our cellmate knows where we like mashed potato, what you like with nightmares, what your shit smells like. You know, cellmate knows you. And I ended up being having to share a cell with my son six months before he died. So I knew my boy. And he, in that time, he went, Dad, the problem with me and Uncle David outside is deep. He said, um, you know, he said, I feel like it's going to be a race of who gets there first, you know, like kills the person. And I had to, as a father, go to him, fucking hell, stop it, Jensen. You know, you're in here, you ain't even out of prison yet, telling me who you want to kill before you get out. It's fucking mad, you know, stop it, blah, blah, blah. And it ended up that it was his Uncle David that looks like he's the one that um, shot him. And, and that conversation I had with him saying him not to do it burns me, you know. Thank you very much for listening. That is the end of part one. You can find me on Twitter at, at @mattpricecomedy. The website is www.conversationswithcriminals.com. If you've enjoyed this, please listen to episode two, which will be out very soon. And please do leave a comment on iTunes because it is very much appreciated. Thank you for your support. And I'll speak to you again.